You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with the heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Yeah, so we're actually going to go through Jonah 3 this week. Um, and today as we go through it, we're going to look at just at two kind of main points. One being that uh, when we think God's done using us, uh, as Jonah feels especially in these kind of uh, chapters, that he's really not, and he has something calling for us. And then secondly, um, no matter how far away we are from God, no matter how far our sinner is, um, we're never too far from God's love and mercy. So we're going to read through and get started. <coughs> Jonah 3, verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, go on a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called out for a fast and put on sackcloth, from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation, and published through Nineveh, By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from their evil, from his evil way and from the violence that, that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from this fierce anger, so that we may not perish. When God saw, that they di- saw what they did and how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the, of the disaster that he, had said th- that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Word of the Lord. Um, all right, so first, if you weren't here these past two weeks, um, Cameron uh, first talked on Jonah 1, and then Tucker last week on Jonah 2. Uh, what we're seeing here is Jonah is called upon the Lord to go to Nineveh, um, and it's this kind of great city uh, that is very evil. They, uh, if you remember, Cameron first compared them to the Nazis, um, that they can really only do bad things at this point as we see them. And so Jonah, what does he do like all of us would do? He says, no, I'm not going to go to that terrible city, and he tries to run away from God. Um, on his run from God, he uh, is, of course, not away from God at all. God is still there. You can't run from God. Uh, Cameron calls him a silly fool because he's nowhere uh, out of his hands. And so the Lord uh, has him called into a fish in the sea. Um, as we see, Cameron referenced that Jesus uh, references back to this passage and that we know um, that this is an actual event, that Jonah did get thrown in a great fish. Um, and so as he's in that fish in Jonah 2, we see and cry out to the Lord as he's at the deepest of the sea, really nothing else to do, um, and he can't save himself, of course. And so he calls upon the Lord's mercy and grace, and he pulls him out of the bottom and grabs him and pulls him out. Um, and so then here we are in Jonah 3. He's out of the fish. He's done running from the Lord, and the Lord is calling him to continue going. Yeah, so um, just starting off at the beginning of the chapter, going through maybe the first three verses, it says, um, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Um now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Uh, so, we see here that after this whole 
um, event where Jonah is on this uh, on the boat and there are waves crashing into the boat and terrifying him and the other sailors and he gets thrown off. He um, and then he gets you know eaten by a whale, um, something that none of us could ever imagine happening. And um, as Tucker said last week, he can actually feel the presence of the Lord leaving him while he's in the whale. Um, and that is when he repents, and that is when he realizes he's in total desperation, and he realizes, oh, wow, um, I really need the Lord, and I haven't realized what he's been doing for me all this time, and now he's leaving me, and I can't, you know, I, I'm, I'm terrified, and I, and I need him to come back. Um, and when he does that, when he repents and comes back to the Lord with his heart, the whale spits him out on the beach, and um, and he goes back to Nineveh, um, or he goes to Nineveh, um, which is crazy, um, <laughs> considering that um, you know how evil of a city um, we know it to be. Um, so we already see here that the Lord is being persistent with Jonah. Um, he um, he has an idea that Nineveh will repent once Jonah does go there, and um, so he you know he is persistent with him and he uses him. He says, now you're the perfect model of repentance, and now I am sending you to Nineveh. Um, and Jonah finally hears that. He finally understands that, and he goes there. Um, and just to give you all a, a little bit of historical background of, of Nineveh, um, at the time, it was the capital of the Neo-Assyrian Empire. Um, and Assyrian was one of the major threats uh, to the northern um, Israel border um, at the time. And... Um, Nineveh itself was known as the city of bloodshed, um, the city of sin, basically the worst of the worst places. So when we equate them to the Nazis, we are not um, we are not exaggerating in any way. Um, and um, it, it's it's described as a huge city. Um, it says three days journey in breadth, um, which indicates that it is very great, very powerful, and very um, a, a, a relatively big city at the time. And um, Thoroughly evil. Um, a, um, one of they worshipped false gods. The Syrian Empire itself worshipped false gods, um, and is is described by many people as a wicked and brutal nation. Um, to give you all an idea of some of the things the Assyrians would do, um, they um, when they would capture um, some of their um, you know evil or not evil, but some of their enemies um, who they viewed as evil. Um, they would um, they would flay them. They, it said um, I found um, many resources that said they would flay the nobles and drape their skins over piles of corpses. They dismembered enemy soldiers, cutting off their nose and ears and gouging out their eyes while still alive, before finally beheading the soldiers and placing the severed heads on sharpened stakes around the walls of the captured city. Um, those who were kept alive did not fare much better. Their lower lips were pierced with fish hooks on lines. And they were led back to Nineveh, that, where they were tortured and killed or sold as slaves. Um, which is very, very graphic description of the things they would do to their enemies um, when they would capture a city. Um, and so you can imagine the fear that Jonah is experiencing when he um, first, you know, I mean, I would probably have fled even faster than Jonah um, the first time when God, if God were to call me to go to that terrible city, the fact that he um, has the courage now to go back is a true testament to the strength the Lord is giving him at, at this time and what actually happened when he was in the whale. Um, so he has a, uh, a newfound courage that is something that um, is really hard for us to imagine unless we're put into his place. 
Um, so, yeah, um, you know, no one can believe or follow God without his word, and, and this is kind of what we see. Um, we see that um, Nineveh was following their own versions of good and evil, apart from what the Lord deemed to be good and evil. And um, so the Lord is calling Jonah um, to go back with courage, um, and um, he does so through all of his experiences leading up to this. Yeah, and then um, going on to verses 5 through 9, um, after one just hearing how just kind of evil of a city this really is and how great of a city. So one, they're evil, and the two, they're, they're, they're a really big city. And the fact that Sam's touching on that Jonah, he did get up. He had the courage and strength to go there. And now not only is he just facing the city, he's not just coming and telling them, oh, hey, like, we love you. We want you to be better. Now he's walking into this place and he's telling them, you're going to be overthrown. Uh, here I am by myself. I'm telling you, um, in 40 days, you will be overthrown. You'll be destroyed. Um, and what would we expect the Ninevites to do? Well, we expect them to do everything Sam just explained to Jonah and Jonah alone. Um, but yet they don't react in a way of anger. They don't react in a way of um, that they're better than Jonah, that he's wrong. Uh, it says the first thing in, in verse, verse 5, if you look at it, and the people of Nineveh believe God. Nothing else came over them except that they believe God. Um, you can tell that um, there's definitely more to Jonah's message than what he said. I don't think he, I don't believe that he walked in just saying that, and he definitely preached to them. But they didn't focus on that. They didn't focus on his emphasis of his whole preaching was that you're going to be destroyed. They focused on the fact that that God is powerful. Um, that that this that Jonah himself fears the Lord. Uh, if you remember Cameron referring back in Jonah one that when Jonah told them, I'm a Hebrew, I fear the Lord, that all of those sailors were like, holy cow, what have you done? We know of this God. He's over everything. Um, and so these people here, the Ninevites, they recognize it. And they know, um, and just like the sailors on that ship, these Ninevites believed God and they believed in this. Um, and as they believed, they didn't sit there. Um, I think most of us, when we were told we're doing something wrong, or we tell someone tells us like we've hurt them in some way, our first reaction is, how can I, how can I do better? Um, how can I work harder to make it up? Um, how can I change this for you? Um, but yet they don't, they don't first change. They don't, don't first change themselves. They don't work harder. They believe God. Um, the second half of that verse, so they believe God and they call for a fast and plumb sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. And so what first came was they believe God. Um, we see this sign immediately of repentance <laughs> to the Ninevites, but repentance is first believing in God. Um, and then changing their ways because it's not them changing. It's the Lord working through them to change. Um, so the flip side of that to help compare it would be if they heard the message and then they did try to work hard and then they, they try to change everything and think, let me prepare myself for, like, for God. Let me make myself right with God in his eyes so that he can then love me. No, they believed God. Um, they knew how wrong they were. They believed him, understood that, and then God, through his work, changed them. Um, and then they go on this idea of putting on sackcloth and it wasn't just the king saying, all right, we messed up. Um, you, the lowest of all of us, you put on the sackcloth. You repent for us. Um, we'll see if the Lord saves you first, and then we'll do it. No, from the king, from the top to down, to the very bottom, every single person's repenting. Uh, this is a full citywide um, thing. I think what's pretty amazing of all of this is um, that if this was us right now, if this was me, if this was me, and again, I was saying, if you told me I was doing something wrong, that would work so hard. Um, and that also, I would probably, if you explained how bad I was, because I think at this point they're understanding how evil they were. 
if you explain that to me, uh, I would definitely not think I'm right in the image of God. Um, I would not be able to approach him and come to him. Um, that I would either run away first and then try to get right, um, or that I would just run away completely and I would never come back because I would think there's no way God can love me. Um, but yet the power of the Lord is so great and that his love and mercy is so great that even the Ninevites, the worst people in the time of this period, um, they understood his love and that then through that understanding of God's mercy on them, they were able to change. I think a really big piece uh, to compare this to is if you remember back to Genesis 3, um, Adam and Eve, they, they feel shame. And immediately when they feel shame, what do they do? They sow fig leaves on them and they cover up. Um, this idea of, again, I was saying, making it look like you're good so that God can love you. So they cover everything up because they, they if you remember, can't quote it exactly, but as God says, like, what are you doing? Uh, they, they say back to him, we heard you were coming and we were naked and afraid, so we covered it up. Um, but look back to this text and what do the Ninevites do? They messed up, they feel shame, and they uncover themselves because they're bringing that to light and they're saying, Lord, we are shameful. Um, we, are, we, are, we are evil. We have been doing evil ways. We've been away from you. Um, we haven't been following your word. And so let us uncover ourselves so that you may come change us. Um, they didn't try to do this themselves. And then not only were they changing their ways, of like, um, was the Lord working through them and uncovering themselves, but even man and beast, um, every single person, every single animal in this whole city of Nineveh, they were they were changing. Uh, this is a massive, um, uh, blank on my words to use for this, but just a massive effect of, I can't imagine seeing this in today, um, seeing a whole city uproot their ways and change completely. I think especially what it's referring to um, in verse in verse um, 8, when it's talking about what man and beast, again, what Cameron mentioned in Jonah 1, that when Jonah told them that he was a Hebrew and that he feared the Lord, um, the biggest thing that, that scared those sailors was they knew that Yahweh anointed everything, that he is above not just the skies, he's not just above the land, not just mankind, but he's over every single piece of this world. Um, and the Ninevites recognized that, and then they put it into action. Um, they, they changed every aspect of their life to order to repent and go to the Lord. Um, and so I think two things we see through this, two steps of repentance that we see them using, is one, first off, they recognized their sin. They recognized um, their ways they were away from God. And then two, um, that they believed and recognized love and mercy. Um, again, I mentioned that my first reaction would be to go away from God if I knew how, how far off I was already, that I'd want to go farther because I'm so bad that he won't even love me. But the second aspect of this is that they recognize God's love and mercy, and they recognize that he is there for them and that he can change them. And it's exactly what um, we see even happening with the Ninevites. Yeah, and um, so Juan makes um, some you know, really good points about the fact that the Ninevites didn't first try to change themselves. They didn't first try to cover up themselves, make excuses for the way they'd been living. Um, instead, they completely they um, completely disrobed, put on sackcloth and sat in ashes, and um, you know prayed and repented. Um, and every single person, every single being within the kingdom did this. Um, it was a, a massive just complete um, 
almost sort of like spiritual revolution within that city um, and um, spiritual um, e- evolving. Um, and so um, I want to um, att- lead y'all's attention to a, a, a verse that I actually read this morning from Ephesians um, 2, um, verse 8 through 9. It says, "For by the grace you have been, for by grace you have been saved by faith, and this is not your doing; it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast." Um, and we can see really prevalent with, prevalent within this chapter that this is exactly what is happening with the Ninevites when they first choose to repent and not to try to cover up or try to live better first. Um, they, we actually see God moving within them, um, providing them with a type of faith through the word that Jonah gives them um, that actually transform their lives. It is a complete gift from God. It's him reaching into their lives and changing their hearts without them having to open the door themselves or them having to make try to make their hearts right first before coming to him. Um, this is all an act of God. Um, and uh, this is really, really powerful um, here, and this is really powerful through the way we repent. This is really powerful through the way that people in, in throughout the Bible history have come to God and come to know him. Um, and... Um, a really key aspect of this chapter is the sackcloth and ashes. Um, it, it has been used throughout the entire Bible, this idea of repenting in sackcloth and ashes um, as a form of just complete um, spiritual despair, complete coming to the Lord and relying on the Lord and realizing that you cannot save yourself. Um, and it's actually used um, as a synonym almost for both uh, repentance and mourning. Um, so uh, to give you all an idea of what sackcloth really is, um, I found um, from Bible Gateway Dictionary, um, <laughs> it's, it's a coarse black cloth made from goat's hair um, that was worn together with the burnt ashes of wood as a sign of mourning um, for personal and national disaster and as a sign of repentance and as times of prayer for deliverance. Um, And so I thought this definition really encompassed what it is. It's basically a really uncomfortable clothing that people would put on as a sign of discarding discarding the comforts of this world and putting on the discomfort of their repentance. Um, It's an outward representation of what they are feeling um, inside. And um, it's really important to note that um, what we see here, when when God... um, relents of this disaster, he's not doing so after the Ninevites kind of say, oh yeah, um, well I see that we have been kind of bad and um, I see that Jonah is coming to tell us that we're going to relent, that, that, that we, um, that, sorry, that our whole city will be destroyed for what we've done. And, and so we feel like we're going to hope and, 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 and hope that the Lord just kind of, um, you know, pushes it under the rug and, um, you know, not and, and not really think about it um, and just say, oh, I'm sorry, God, and, and that's it. Um, it's actually so much deeper um, and, and so much um, to the core, to their hearts um, of what is, what is what is going on here. And what's actually happening is they're going through um, a, um, I honestly, I would think, I would describe it as a, um, a spiritual transformation that comes from spiritual despair um, comes from complete spiritual desolation when they realize that 
they have not been following God's will, and he is going to abandon him, um, and that he is going to destroy them, actually. Um, and so it's used, um, and, and this is kind of what we see. We see sackcloth being used countless number of times throughout the Bible when people are in this state. Um, and there's actually um, a really, so I, to, just to give you all a bit more of an illustration of, of this feeling, um, I found one of the places where I found where sackcloth was used was in the book of Job. Um, and um, I'm sure many of y'all know the story of Job. Um, basically, what happens is Satan goes to the Lord, um, and he says, um, Job, you know, he has all of these riches, he has all these blessings, and um, I doubt that he really loves you for you. I bet he loves you for all these blessings, so let me take all these away from him. Um, and the Lord says, okay, go do that, um, it, but you can't take his life. You can take everything else. You can take his, all of his children, you can take all of his servants, all of his livestock and his physical health, but you can't take his life. Um, and so he does that. Um, and you can you can imagine what Joe is feeling. He's probably in the one of the worst states of mourning in um, the history of Bible, um, <laughs> save for when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane. Um, and um, he's literally lost everything. Um, and he's still turning to the Lord. Um, and, and, and still, he, he, you know, we, we know this, throughout the book of Job, he never gives up on the Lord, despite what people tell him, um, that the Lord has abandoned him. But um, in chapter 16, he really pours out what is going on within himself. Um, he says, um, God gives me up to the ungodly and casts me into the hands of the wicked. I was at ease and he broke me apart. He seized me by the neck and dashed me to pieces. He set me up as his target, his archers surround me. He slashes open my kidneys and does not spare. He pours out my gall on the ground. He breaks me with breach upon breach. He runs upon me like a warrior. I have sewed sackcloth upon my skin and I've laid my strength in the dust. My face is red with weeping and on my eyelids is deep darkness. Although there is no violence in my hands, and my prayer is pure. Um, that's a pretty graphic description of how he was feeling inside. Um, and um, we see in other parts um, that Job is just really, he, he wants his life to end. He doesn't, I mean, this, this concept of never even having wanted to be born is unheard of for me. But this is how he's feeling. Um, and... It's a really, really deep, um, deep, uh, dark spiritual state. Um, and I believe that this is actually what is happening with the Ninevites right here. Um, even though they're not mourning for a loss per se, um, they are uh, repenting in the same way as Job is in sackcloth and ashes. And they are actually mourning for um, what they know to be the future loss of, of the Lord um, and their own destruction. Um, through, through Jonah's word, when he goes to the Ninevites, he actually opens their eyes to this, which I think is just incredible. Um, and, and the fact that uh, Jonah was the one who ran away at the beginning um, and is still, um, I can imagine, um, very terrified to go back to Nineveh, the Lord is still using him, and he's using him as a model of repentance. Um, and um, I think this really, I really think that this keys into this whole idea throughout the Bible that we are the strongest when we are weakest. Um, we are strongest when we are finally at the end of our ropes and realize that we need to rely on the Lord. Um, and so one final verse that I wanted to share with y'all 
is from 2 Corinthians. Um, it's one of my favorite ones. Um, it's by, you know, Paul, of course. He's the one who wrote this letter. Um, <laughs> and so um, Paul is basically complaining about a weakness of his own. And he says, So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For, for when I am weak, then I am strong. So, um, this really keys into the whole idea of um, just human weakness and human repentance towards God. Um, this idea that if we repent, um, or when we repent, we surrender to a state of complete helplessness and submission to the Lord. Um, when we finally surrender our own righteousness for the sake of His righteousness, when we accept our fatal weakness towards sin, and our need for God, that is when he can finally enter in and give us his own divine strength. When we finally come to the end of our own ropes, that is when he catches us in his strong arms and guides us. Um, and we see here in verse 9, um, the king says, Who knows? God may, return, may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. And this isn't him um, just hoping or kind of a, this isn't that kind of shallow hope where you say, oh, well, maybe he will, maybe he won't. Um, this is a deeper hope in the grace of the Lord, um, a deeper hope in his mercy. And um, it's, it's the second step towards repentance, the first step realizing your sinfulness, the second step realizing the love for the Lord and his um his uh, tendency towards forgiving those who truly repent, um, his mercy and his grace. Um, and so what is happening here, um, I believe, is so much deeper than what I originally read when I originally read this chapter. It seemed very step by step by step. Okay, they repented once. The Lord kind of finally say, like they, he saved them and said, oh, because you said this prayer, I will save your kingdom. But it's actually um, a deep spiritual and internal transformation within every single member of this city. Yeah. Um, and I think what's such a hard, like, harsh comparison is that we have this God um, who is so mighty, so powerful, and just like the, the passage from Job, just that spiritual warfare that Job was feeling, um, and that also that the Ninevites are, they're expecting right here, so they're expecting past that they're expecting to literally have their life taken away um and that's how strong he is but yet also the other side of it is that he's a merciful and loving god um that his mercy and love is so great that it can overtake even that other side of just this this will to have them destroyed um i think it's easy for a lot of people i know we've all been in a situation where we're talking with someone who maybe uh isn't necessarily a believer and their first their usually first target um is, well, the Old Testament is so contradictory. Um, everything about it. Uh, it's so old, it's so contradictory um, in every way of it. And this is a small example of it, but I think it's also a point showing that, like, nothing that someone tries to compare and say, oh, that contradicts that, um, why is he doing that? Uh, but that the Lord 
says through all of it that uh, it's very clear. Um, so again, an example of this. In verse, in verse 10 he says, when God, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. And actually in Jeremiah 18.7, it says, If I announce that a certain nation or kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down and destroyed, but then the nation renounces its evil ways, I will not destroy it as planned. Um, and that the Lord, he is blessing them. He sees uh, their repentance. Um, were they sought to be destroyed uh, in this initial message? Yes. But the Lord had a greater plan for them and a greater searching of their heart. Um, and then he sees their heart turned. And remember back to verse 5. It all started with, and the people of Nineveh believed God. Um, this idea that the plan for Nineveh was to be destroyed, but yet when they repent and when they turn, the Lord says, when, when they do that, I will not destroy as I planned. Like, yes, that was my plan, um, but now they will be saved. Um, and I do believe that the Ninevites um, were indeed saved on this day, um, and that a city that goes from so great of just kind of evil and wicked ways, that so quickly... Uh, the Lord manifests and turns their heart uh, to follow him and to go after him, uh, which is probably one of the craziest we could call a comeback story. Um, you can see because they are they are destined to be destroyed right here, um, and yet they're saved. And I think just, um, we're going through pretty quickly, so we'll have time for questions, but a few kind of like, I guess, points of emphasis and application that, uh, that we can make. Um, first, that... I think one of the biggest things through all of this is that if you remember back to what it started off with was about Jonah um, and that his his walk through all of this and he's not forgotten um, that Jonah he went away from God and God didn't just say okay thanks like I guess I'm not going to use you anymore I'm going to move on uh, as Cameron I thought was pretty funny he mentioned he said he didn't just say like alright next prophet we got a bunch of them let's move on um, and so but yet in Jonah 2, at the bottom of the bottom of the fish, the Lord pulls him out. And then in Jonah 3, he says, I'm not done with you. Like, I didn't just use this to change your heart right here, but I want to use you more than that. Um, so I think this idea of no matter when we think the Lord is done using us, um, maybe it's an occupation we've been working for years, and then something changes. And you think, well, I guess that was my ministry right there, and now it's done. Or maybe um, for me personally, it was in high school um, playing basketball and just saying, like, that's my ministry. And then turning that away and changing it and thinking, I guess I'm done. Um, or maybe it's losing a friend group in a way where you think that is my all, that's my purpose, um, and you lose it. And these points in life where there's kind of milestone points um, where you think the Lord is done and you think he's done using your walk, um, but he says no, like, I got so much more. And then again, this idea that the Ninevites are probably the farthest we can think of doing actual, like, uh, applicable physical ways of being evil. Um and you think there's no way they can be saved. Um, maybe it's someone we know in our lives who we think they have just been so far away. They've done so many just like, maybe it's things they've actually done, or maybe it's just the way they think and the things you've talked to them about, and you think, man, the hope is gone. Um, because when we lose hope and that we think there's no way they can be saved, the Lord says, hold on, I got more. Um, and that they, they will indeed, um, with his will, be saved. Um, so I think that's just so cool to see that God is so strong so powerful, yet so merciful and so loving um, that a sinner so far away as the Ninevites. And um, we heard the way Sam explained of what they did. I'm not even going to go back into it because it is, it is brutal. Um, but yet right here in verse 5, after being told 
they're going to be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believe God. This idea that they didn't run away from the reality of, man, I messed up. I've done something wrong. Um, I can't believe my life's been this way. Um, that, as Sam mentioned, the Lord opened their eyes through Jonah to see, man, like, what, is, what have I done? That kind of, I picture of like just turning back and seeing a path of destruction. Um, I, I picture the Hulk um, in this one reference of that he can go through a whole city and destroy everything. Um, and I always wonder what he thinks about when he turns around and just sees, man, I did all of that. Because as we know, if you're a Marvel fan, the Hulk is, his whole thing is built off anger. Um, so this anger, just kind of torture going through and turning around and seeing, I did all of that. And the Ninevites are looking back at their life and thinking, man, look what we have done. And they didn't run away. They didn't, they didn't try to work harder. They didn't say, all right, everyone, we're going to start having training sessions. We're going to go to these groups. We're going to go to these, these things. Let's get right. Um, but that they just believe God. And then the Lord worked through them. Um, so great. I'm kind of overwhelmed by it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think for me personally, a lot of times when I realize that I'm not perfect, when I realize that I'm still deeply sinned, even after coming to faith in Christ, um, I feel deeply overwhelmed, I feel deeply burdened, and I feel like I need to try to make it all up to him, um, to try to do the right action. Um, it was actually only a, a few days ago when I felt this way um, and then realized that I couldn't do it. I realized that I was too bound by fear, and um, I, for the, for the first time in a long time, just prayed about it. Um, and... Um, that was when I was able to find a peace through God in a way I never had before um, for this certain issue. And um, that is, I believe, what God is calling us to do through this through this chapter and what he's calling us to do with our sins and weakness, weaknesses. Um, he's calling us to recognize it and then to recognize that even though we can't fix it, that he's already paid for it and he is here and he will strengthen us and we'll be made, we will be made perfect. Um when Jesus Christ comes, uh, and um, it's, you know, I mean, I, I through this chapter um, and through kind of that um, own little personal revelation, I realized just how much that is the gospel of Jesus Christ, um, and how, how much he is calling us to do that in our lives. Okay, plus, and then open mm-hmm. up for questions, if you yeah. have any. Yeah, um, so I'll pray. Um, Father, thank you for this um, wonderful morning. Thank you for bringing all of these wonderful people, all of your children, to this class. And thank you for this word um, and for giving Warren and I um, the chance to speak through your Holy Spirit um, and hopefully enlighten Um, at least one or two of the people in here on what is going on um, within this chapter. Um, And Father, I thank you for your grace and your mercy. I thank you for everything that you are doing to bring us towards you. Um, And I pray that you can help every single person in this room remember that even though we are not yet perfect, even though we are not yet fully united with you, Um, You are still guiding us and leading us within every step of the way of our lives. And when we fall, when we cannot measure up, um, when we are too bound by fear, like Jonah was when he ran away from the Ninevites, um, or when we are too bound by our own weaknesses, 
we can realize that it is in that very state when we can rely on you, rely on your strong arms, and realize that that is when we are actually the strongest. Um, so, Father, I thank you, um, and I pray that you will go in peace with each and every child in your room, uh, in this room, on this day. In your name, I pray. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.